ready for a brand new episode of Terribly Funny? Oh, that was a weird intro. That was like the beginning of um, a Good Vibrations, except gross. <laughs> That's a good way to start. Let's do it. Here we go. Brand new episode of Terribly Funny. How you doing, gang? I am your best friend and your pal, Steve Bazalone. And uh, this is the podcast where I talk to funny people about terrible things that have happened to them. Um, we're going to get started. Today we've got a great guest. Uh, he's a big deal. He's a, he's a great guy. He's Alex Blagg. What can I tell you about Mr. Black? Well, he's a guy that I've known of for many years. Uh, I've always known him to be a hustler, a man who has his finger in a lot of pies, which sounds gross, but it's not. He's just a very industrious, entrepreneurial man. He's the um, head, the creator, uh, founder, and head of creative for his production company, Serious Business, which produces At Midnight, which he co-created and is also executive producer. He's also a great writer. He's uh, working on a, a movie with, Ke- with Kevin Hart. He's also written for a problematic most casher for workaholics i know you love that show for at midnight as well for betas he's just you know he's a hustler and today he's going to talk to us about um what it's like being an army brat and uh just growing up in general it's some fun stuff uh we're gonna get to that in a second but before we do let me say hey do you like this show I hope so. If you do, go to our iTunes page, subscribe, tell your friends to subscribe, give us a rating, give us a review. You can also check us out on our various social media platforms. We're fucking hip. We have those things. Our Twitter is terribly underscore funny. Our Instagram is terribly funny podcast. You can go there and check out pictures of me and, and, and my very attractive guests. Also, sometimes pictures of my dog. It's a good time. Uh, you can also, if you want to drop me a line, you can do so at uh, a terribly funny podcast at Gmail. I genuinely love hearing from you guys. There's a couple of emails I've gotten the last couple weeks that I have not responded to. I'm a little backed up, but if you're one of those people, I'm gonna, I'm gonna write back. That's a guarantee. It's a Basilone terribly funny guarantee. Um, all right, I'm done with this part now. Now let's get to the good stuff, which is Alex Flagg talking about growing up. Let's get some theme music. No, yeah, but the biggest thing I, I could think of is like, you know, the sort of common denominator of like whatever pain I felt, you know, growing up as a child was mostly, I think, from moving a lot. Yeah. Like my parents were... Military? Yeah, they were both in the Air Force. Oh, wow. And, and well, that's then, a crazy way to grow up just in general, right? In Having general... military parents? Yeah, my dad was a helicopter rescue pilot and my mom worked more in like a, like administrative type of capacity. Your dad was Maverick. That's kind of, cool. yeah. I mean, it was, he wasn't like, he was just, you know, yeah, like pulling people out of uh, the ocean and, and like finding lost rock climbers and things That's like that. That's fucking crazy. Um, it is crazy. You like won every argument when like my dad can beat up your dad, but like this is what my dad does. What's your dad? Oh, he's an accountant? Go fuck yourself. Yeah, exactly. Uh, my dad, uh, f- yeah, flies helicopters like airwolf basically yeah. and oh, uh, man. uh no well, so he retired you know from flying when i was about five i think it's just like the schedule and everything it was too um it was it was probably like just not great for when you have kids also um, i imagine and i'm basing this on nothing but it's akin to being like a professional athlete like it's just you probably just get burned out like that's a young man's job probably right i think so but i think he loved it i mean i think he yeah. definitely i remember being young and like a big part of his identity was like pilot because it's like mm-hmm. such a macho thing right yeah. where you're like you know you, there's like a, a kind of a fraternity among all the pilots and you know and the fact yeah that you're doing this kind of really specialized crazy kind of dangerous thing like you, yeah. I think there's an adrenaline to it and like I always sensed a, a, a feeling of regret that my dad like I know that he knew that retiring and, and kind of like 
almost like you're saying, like a pro athlete, it's almost like deciding to go off the road or right. whatever because right. you have kids and you want to settle down. And like, yeah. I know that for my dad, it was like a conscious choice of like, I'm going to kind of let my dream go a little bit and yeah. settle down to be more conducive to being a, a father and a husband and stuff. And he ended up becoming a high school teacher, which is an interesting also shift because sure. it's like you're going from like this super high stakes, kind of weirdly glamorous thing into just like the most kind of quotidian, like... Un, unappreciated you know for sure totally underappreciated but it's also interesting because like um, I was watching uh, Catch Me If You Can recently yeah and just like the notion granted it was like the 60s and everything was very kind of had amber hue to it like everybody was naive and everybody was all aw shucks about anything remotely interesting but just like him walking around and kids just losing their shit because he's yeah. a pilot so it's interesting, like, going from, like, I'm sure he had, like, the highest status for any sort of kid and then going to, like, teaching kids. Yeah, where he's just, like, dealing with asshole kids <laughs> and their parents and, like, you know, I, th- I, I think definitely that that must have been a, a, a difficult thing for him to, to right. deal with. But this isn't about terrible things that happen to people's dads. No. Uh, but I think for me, how it, like, related to me was definitely, even after they went into, like, they got out of the military and in their civilian lives, we just, we moved around a lot. My mom, so my dad became a high school teacher. My mom was, because she had more of an administrative role in the Air Force, she got, got fell into, like, um, government contracting type mm-hmm. of stuff. Like, like she works for Aerojet, which is, like, one of the big uh, manufacturers of, like, solid rocket motors that, that sort of, you know, they propel the space shuttle and so they're dealing with like big giant government contracts right. and she, she helped with that so she was really more of the breadwinner and you know so her career just moved us a lot so I, I grew up in in California and then um, at about 10 years old and we moved around quite a bit even then right. all my whole the whole time that I was I was young and then at 10 she got a job in Iuka Mississippi and so we moved to Muscle Shoals Alabama so oh, like shit. just like the deepest mm-hmm. of the deep south and, you know, even as a 10-year-old, like, the culture shock of that was, like, very... You, I really felt it. And, like, everybody just felt like a whole different... You know, How so? Just, I don't know, like, it, it's such a... Like, all this sort of stereotypical, like, Alabama stuff you can think of. Just everything from accents, the way people spoke, right. to, like, the culture of just, like... You know, like open racism yeah, yeah. and just it's everything. Not even casual. It's just yeah, we're yeah, open just like, exactly like proud racism, mm-hmm. and and it was just very like shocking to somebody who grew up kind of just not around that. Like yeah. I never had seen that, or, or you know, as a ten year old, it's like you're old enough to sort of recognize the difference, but not right. quite old enough to like emotionally understand the like context for it, yeah. or like why are these pe- why are these people so different, and like. It was definitely a real, like, a real struggle and transition. I was very, like, I didn't have friends for a long time. I felt very, like, isolated and, and like, kind of like a, an outsider. I mean, I spent, like, a year of my life, I feel like, like, my only sort of social outlet was I would go to this, uh, this like, skating rink alone. Sure. Oh, sure. <laughs> Just, like, kind of, like, skate around furtively hoping somebody would talk to oh. me or be my friend. Were you an only child? Um, no, I had a little sister, but she was, like, five years younger than me. She young. was, like, five years yeah. old. So, yeah, it was just, it was a very, like, weirdly isolated time that yeah, man. I just, you know, I... I remember having similar shit, like, we're going, like, vacation, and we yeah. go to, like, Florida to see my grandfather, and we'd be staying at, a like, at one of those North Beach motels, and there'd be all these kids playing in the pool... And I would just like kind of swim around them for a while. I'm like, well, they asked me to play. Yeah. Well, they asked me to play. Yeah. And my mom yeah, like, just yeah, fucking yeah. ask them to play. I'm like, mm, I can't. Yeah, exactly. 
No, and there was like that, except then there was that added thing of just like, I think culturally, like, I seem probably like an alien to right. them, even just like, there was like, I, I really remember there was like a hostility towards California, just the fact that I was from California, yeah. and I wasn't even from like, liberal LA or New York, I was from like Sacramento, which is the most, you know, it's about as like, deep south California yeah. as you can get, and, uh, and yeah, it was just like, I don't know. I just I just have this like really strong memories of, of being you know re- almost like depressed as a ten mm-hmm. year old of just sure. you know being like not having friends uh, and skating around listening to like you know Bon Jovi or whatever. <laughs> like, I mean, like on the surface, it sounds pretty cool. Yeah, I mean, like, now, you take yeah, out, you take out I the know sad it's a, stuff. Exactly, it's a cool image when yeah. you think about yeah. it, but at the time, it felt bad. And like, and then so it was like. A few years later, like, I, I I finally kind of started to, like, you know, like, assimilate and make some friends and kind of had, like, my little crew. And then, like, they – so then freshman year of high school, we had to move again to Memphis, Tennessee. Oh, and it was just, like, starting from, from you know, square one. Which is, like, a little like, bit more atta- as a city. But yeah. But it's still – Still the south. And it's, like – so at that point, at least I'm, like, used to the south. But, right. yeah, I was just, like, having to make friends all over again. I went to, like – three different high schools my freshman year. Oh, I man. spent every night alone at movie theaters then. I at least had moved from skating ranks to movie theaters. And yeah, well, at least that's one of those things where, like, this is okay to be alone because I can't talk to anybody else here. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And I still, to this day, I actually, in a weird way, kind of prefer going to the movies alone. Uh, it's my favorite thing. It always kind of weirds me out when I talk to somebody who's never seen a movie by themselves. Yeah. Like, okay, I understand it can be social, but it's also... It's euphoric for me, like go yeah. and sit by yourself, and yeah, and you just yeah, it's it's it, uh, certainly people that are act like yeah, well, they act like almost like uh, they think it's insane that you would go to the movies by yeah. yourself or something. I, I've never understood that. But it's such but. a solitary. It's not like the unless you're doing like mystery science theater where you're like openly doing bits, but then the rest of the audience hates you. Like, what is the? You're fine. Yeah, you're not talking to anybody. Yeah, no, totally. Totally, and like I don't know, and that was, uh, and then I moved again. It just I just feel like all these moves were just these like really difficult, for me. Like they were just these difficult trans, you know, transitions in my life right. from the, you know into high school, and then I went you know at, right after college I moved to San Francisco, and I was just like you know that's where we get into like what you're talking about. Was, yeah, it was like super broke right out of college, right. like right. everybody else was, yeah. and I don't know, I figured it out. And well, but like all those things did that. Because as you're saying, you're saying like reflecting back on the things that caused like were some level of pain or turmoil, like just like feeling like an outsider or feeling alone and you moved so much as a kid. Is that like, do you see the ripples of that now? Do you like when you find something or are you like a barnacle, like I, I'm going to hold on to this or is it like subsequently like I'm more of a loner now and that's kind of chill in my identity? I think both. I think like I've learned to... I have, like, a weird nostalgic fondness for solitude, especially because mm-hmm. I don't have much of it anymore as, like, yeah. you know, a married person with two kids who's very busy with work. Like, I, you know, there's not a lot. I mean, really, my car is, like, the only time right. I'm ever really alone at this point. And so, like, I do the, now, strangely, kind of, like, miss some of that sort of more introspective solitude mm-hmm. that just where you're kind of, like, wandering around in your own thoughts and, you know... I, 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 it's, I, I, I can't believe at the time I never would have thought that would be something that I right. would like I would miss you, but you I, for, yeah. yeah yeah but I, I kind of do and then I think you know on like a psychological level I think it definitely had a big impact on me just like every sort of probably military brat like I feel like I have this 
you know, these definite, like, people-pleasing tendencies, sure. like a just immediate desire to want to, like, fit in and, right. and, like, you know, kind of, um, I don't know, like, socialize. It turns you, like, into a politician. Like, a if little bit. If you're moving to a different place all the time, you, like, have to go, I've got to make friends fast. Yeah. I don't have time to, like, ease into it. Exactly. Yeah. And it's, like, that, I think in, in, you know, in certain ways, it's, like, you know, that's, uh, I guess, useful in... in and the work that we do where you're dealing with a lot of people sure. and you're meeting a lot of different people and you're con- you know, part of the job is just going and having conversations with strangers and right. whatever and being able to kind of quickly have an ease and facility with like just, you know, I don't know, presenting in a, in, 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 in a chill way or something. Yes. Like it's like this, I feel like it's this like weird skill that I've honed over time. But then, yeah, I also am conscious of it and like I don't want to be somebody who's like you know yeah like a i don't want to seem like a politician i don't right. want to you know i certainly have to like really be conscious of like not putting my desires to fit in or be liked or whatever above the th- other things that are important to me you know from a, a you know i don't know personally or creatively or whatever right. it's like it's a kind of like a weird thing it's like a skill but then also like a thing you have to be really aware right, of right. but go unchecked um right to just be like to only have service relationships and only focus on yeah like me now yeah 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 and that's i mean that's and that's another it's like i guess and that's why i even just been thinking about this stuff a lot lately is because it's like i feel like i'm now in another phase in my life where like you know my 20s like i kind of hit my stride at that point right where i was like I moved to San Francisco. I was doing stand up. Mm-hmm. I was like friends with a bunch of other comedians, and I kind of, you know, started to like figure out like my true identity and right. like who I really was, and kind of grow into that through my twenties and early thirties. And then, and I was very social, and I had like a big kind of group of of sort of close friends, um, especially I think when I was living in San Francisco, New York, and then moved out here you know, got married, have kids, and then now this place in my life again where there's much, there's a lot more, um, it's not solitude, but it is like a loneliness, you know, right. like it's, uh, I was actually read this thing in the Boston Globe like a couple months ago about sort of how the, uh, you know, for, for you know, middle-aged men, especially with children and families or whatever, like there's, there become, like your, your life is so mired in that stuff and, you know, work, having time with your kids, your wife, um, that it's harder and harder to maintain close relationships with other yeah. people and friendships with other people, especially if your friends are single or if they don't have kids, it's yeah. like all this stuff everybody knows. It's just you kind of are getting put into a smaller and smaller sort of group and box. And it's certainly harder to like, at this point in life, like no one wants to make new friends, you know? And like, yeah, well, it's just like, and when anybody kind of does, like, what are we doing here? Yeah. You're like, you're like yeah, a little bit yeah, suspect. Yeah. Like, why are you trying to make your. You're an adult person. Exactly. Even though it's like, it only, it only, I feel like the only new friends I've made in the last five years have been purely work. It's never just like, no, I don't know, a hobby? Or because who has hobbies anymore? <laughs> exactly. You turn everything, your hobbies and into work. Yeah, you know? totally, totally. Yeah, and I, and I think in a weird way, work has become like my surrogate part of my social life where it's right. just like, in, you know, in some ways, like being at work is kind of hanging out for me. It's like where I see... The same people that I, I've grown close to and like and we joke around and whatever. And I, I think that does like in some ways kind of function as a big portion, not all of my social life, but like, 
you know, a certain amount of it. And, uh, and yeah, and like we, you just don't have as much time to invest in like getting to know a new person, right. especially if you don't know, like, I don't know, you, you're just, I'm always feel like I'm trying to find time to like, yeah, get together with the friends I do have. And I don't know. Yeah, I'm yeah. lonely and sad. That's what well, that's fine. Who isn't? This is all about. That's great. Uh, but it's interesting being lonely and sad when you're like busy and surrounded by love. <laughs> exactly. You know? Exactly. That's the problem. That's why I was like just dreading. I'm like, I have no real problems. And I know in any attempt that I make to talk about whatever no. my problems are, it'll just sound so like. But isn't like this, like just like the kind of uh, uh, general malaise when there shouldn't be? It's like, what yeah. the fuck is this? Yeah. Why do I feel this way? Everything should be fine. Everything is fine. Right. Yeah. Yeah. You just have, I guess you have the luxury and time to, you know, get imaginative and think of right. things to. Dread. Uh, well, when you, uh, how did your parents, were your parents like cognizant of the fact, was it just like, well, this is our life, we just move a bunch, and you know, our, our children will mold to that because they're young and they can break their bones and be healed a week later? Or was it like where they were like specific to like, you know, this is a new place, no, this is hard on you? I mean, I'm interested in like what that's like. I've, well, as I've gotten older, like many people, like I've come to have a better and deeper understanding of my parents as like, you know, you grow up, you're a kid, you just look up at them as yeah. like these like, you know, benevolent creatures. As that, people who rescue ex- people helicopter who rescue, pilots yeah. who rescue right. climbers. Helicopter yeah. heroes. Mm-hmm. Uh, but as you get older and you become an adult and you are a parent as well, like you start to see like the full sort of reality of who they are. And I think my parents are very like... Um, impulsive and romantic people where mm-hmm. they uh, they're the kinds of people that like go on vacation and immediately start being like well we could live here this is how we right. would do it this right. is what our life would be yeah. like and like and I think everyone does that to some degree you yeah know? fantasize it's fantasize. Like fun to play but they're the kind of people that will take that fantasy and actually start figuring right. out how to turn it into reality and like they're, why you're living in Kalul Lumpur yeah exactly <laughs> at one point I'm, I never like Right around the time that I think when my kids were born, my mom and dad were like, so we're thinking about this like retirement thing where like, you know, we'd like to have a little bit more money. Mm-hmm. And mom found this thing where if she goes and just like works in, it was like works in Kuwait for th- three years or uh-huh. something, you know, she could make a ton of money doing this, 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 yeah. this contract. And I'm just like, well, you're about to have grandchildren, yeah. and like we'd hardly see you as it is, like going to Kuwait for three years. That's that, like, something you do when you're 23. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And it's like, and then my parents are like Benjamin Button in a weird way, where they like as soon as we left, my sister and I, they like moved to Portland and started mm-hmm. brewing beer and like got into like indie rock. That's and pretty like, they're, Yeah, they're they're becoming 20 year olds or whatever, and like, uh, yeah, I don't know. So I think. I don't know how cognizant they were of like, is this having, is this going to have moving around going to have like an emotional impact on our children right. as much as they were like, this is going to be fun. We're going to have this whole new life in right. Alabama. And like, you know, uh, I think that they, they see the like the romantic like vision sure. of what things will be more than sometimes maybe the um, practical reality. Right. Do you, has that transferred to you? Do you have like that sense totally, of adventure? Yeah. Totally. It's I mean, not I, like the inverse of like, no, I want roots. Yeah. I, 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 I think I'm a little bit better at keeping those like fantasies in check to some right. degree, but I certainly have them. I mean, I'll, you know, I fantasize about like moving to uh, a cabin in the woods somewhere. Sure. Sure. Or, like, just, some island. You know, some island. And, yeah. And I, I can definitely like, 
start to like extrapolate on like how my life would look like right. that and what I would do and, and all that. I mean, that's part of traveling for me. The fun of it is, is, are those fantasies. But I think, uh, yeah, I'm, I'm probably a bit more practical than yeah. they are. I think I always play the game whenever I go anywhere of like, how long can I live here before I went crazy? Yeah. And it's like, when I really like I'm honest with myself and start thinking about it, it's like, not that long. It's like maybe long, two right? months. Yeah. And then I'd be like, I want to see a first run movie. Yeah, exactly. I want to eat at more exactly. than six restaurants. Yeah. I want to have three good Thai options. Yeah. Or I'm Whatever not be able to do it. Yeah. Some, some nonsense. Uh, um, do you think, uh, uh, do, so how that, has that changed the way that you, because your kids are what? Three, two? Yeah, they're like two and a half. Two and a half? Has that changed? See, you you talked about like how like, oh, now that I'm a parent, I look back and like, I have more of a firm understanding as to what my parents were maybe thinking or Mm -hmm. weren't thinking. Has that changed? Like, you're trying, do you try to provide more sense of stability because that you're yearning for that? Yeah, I think that's, it's something I'm very aware of that like, you know, like my wife, for example, she grew up in the same place. She's like the opposite of me. She grew up in the same place, almost the same house for like, her whole life and right. she her best friend she's known since she was like two years old hmm. um and i'm always like god what is that like because i don't yeah. i have chapters my life is all in chapters i have and each chapter it's it's kind of like uh i have friendships and relationships and as i moved on it kind of was the end of those things right and like very episodic very episodic don't have like a lot of you know of a through line between um you know from place to place and people to people like it's just that's just the way that it has shaken out and and I don't know and maybe that's good in some ways maybe it's maybe it's not I mean I part of me like you know definitely looks at like my wife having this friendship that's 30 years old or you know whatever and and kind of being like that must be really cool to have somebody that you know that well and that you like um I don't know just have that with that's not like your your family or whatever um but so yeah, it's something I think about for my kids. But then at the same time, I balance it with like, I don't. I'm very also very cognizant of like, I'm I'm uh, you know, very unsure about raising children in Los Angeles. Right, right. I just like not that like I know a lot of people. I, I'm friends with a lot of people that grew up here and they're great. Mm-hmm. And like, yeah, I'm not saying like, you can't grow up in LA and be like a totally normal. And a lot of them person. kind of seem to have like a little bit of a leg up. Yeah, like, like because they were like, oh, you were friends with this person, this person you grew up and went to school with, whoever the I don't know, Brian totally. Grazer's kid or whatever, just like yeah, they have like this like existing sort of like they're they're networking before they even know. Yeah, you're networking. not even cognizant of it. Like, yeah, I just yeah. remember like growing up, I grew up in the suburbs of Pittsburgh, mm-hmm. and like I had you know a bunch of friends who grew up in the in the city, and it's like still. Pittsburgh is a great town, but it's provincial by you know juxtaposed against L.A. But just like they were like so much cooler. They knew like bands. They like yeah. dressed kind of like I don't know, like back in the nineties, like in a, even it wasn't the term then, but like normcore way. It was like this is it's fucking I, everything you're doing is like blows my mind in terms of because there's just a lack of not caring because you're exposed to so much shit or something. Yeah, no, I, that that I I'm, I'm with you on that because I was I grew up also in the suburbs in the yeah. deep south. Yeah. you know, like I was not exposed to any decent culture until I was twenty. Three years old basically yeah. and like so that part of it is cool and appealing where it's like I like that my kids will grow up you know be cool. knowing what like Ethiopian food mm-hmm. is like or, or you know like having a different exposure of different kinds of cultures and 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 you know activities that aren't just they'll probably go to, bar, to a bar and bat mitzvahs yeah exactly that I didn't do until I was 
uh, I played the Scarecrow when I was 22 <laughs> years old at somebody else's bar mitzvah. <laughs> I'm sad to say I've never been to a bar or bat mitzvah, which is like been such a, a bummer for yeah. me, you know? Because like I was 22 and I played the Scarecrow at a Wizard of the Oz themed, and I was like, this is fucking great. <laughs> yeah, This is yeah. so much fun. I can't believe I missed this shit. I know. Whenever my friends like talk, like, because whenever people talk about their bar or bat mitzvahs, it's such a, like, you, they love it. It's so like, yeah. it's like the most fun thing to compare like what you were, what you were dressing, what the theme was like what all that stuff and i just feel completely left out of it like yeah. just no I, I just shut down i'm like i have nothing to say now for the next 10 except minutes except just like just jealousy because it was exactly. like the kid the kid equivalent of doing uh getting married but you get to do a theme and it can yeah. be as big and as dumb as you want yeah. at the height of like juvenile awkwardness yeah. we're just like hilarious shit is gonna happen and yeah, it was all just like a bunch of braced kids are just touching boobs for the first time <clears throat> i know uh, I feel what a dream. Very, very left out of that whole scene. Yeah, the close side of that was like occasionally the non-denominational cool church. Yeah, would throw dances. Oh uh, yeah, like, yeah. This is fun. Oh, that's a terrible thing that I was subjected to. That I've, I've somehow Religion? pushed, pushed down. <laughs> well, yeah. I mean, growing up in, you know, being in Alabama and like, you know, at the time it was basically a junior high and middle school. Yeah. Fifth, you know, fifth through eighth grade. Um, there's just like it's all of these like you know kind of like uh, aluminum warehouse churches that right. were just like uh, insane. Yeah. Like they would and have enormous, these right? enormous, and they would do these things called lock-ins mm-hmm. where they would have all the like you know the kids your age, all your friends and stuff would go and like you are you're 11, 12 years old. You're thinking like I'm gonna try to touch some boobs or yeah. whatever. Yeah. And then they like literally lock you into this giant weirdo warehouse and then like. Proceed like embark upon a three-hour presentation about how you are destined to spend eternity in hell. Oh shit! Because of your rejection of Jesus, and because of the fact that you want to touch titties, and because of the fact that everything else that you know your oh, no. juvenile mind is like sort of lusting after or whatever, and then <laughs> it's like let us introduce you to guilt. Yeah, exactly. It's just like yeah. this amazing like PowerPoint presentation of guilt and terror, followed oh. by an open call to like ask Jesus to save you in front of all of your peers, like the biggest peer pressure thing you can imagine where you then have to like form a line, walk up, let some like weirdo youth minister like hug you for 15 minutes in front of everybody while all the girls you know are crying (laughs) and like, and like, you know, and then I don't know, get in a sleeping bag and spend the night. And then like, I, I I would go home and tell my parents like what happened. And even my parents are like, they're and they're religious people. Uh We're always just like kind of shocked and horrified at this like what felt like a weird like indoctrination. Yeah, low key brainwashing indoctrination thing. One of them was like one of those weird um, hell house type things where I'll never forget the like it was like a skit about abortion. So it was like acted out. Always and funny. And it was literally yeah. like a woman throwing a, a toy baby in a trash can, you know? What? Uh, and you're like yeah. 12 or 13? Oh yeah, totally. And, well, and that's, I mean, that's that's why, you know, Joe Camel exists, right? Get him young. Yeah, Make exactly. Make fear or whatever young. It, just looking back on it now, I, I'm always just, at the time it just felt so normal. Like, oh, this is what you do on Friday nights. You go to the local church and watch this carnival insanity for a few hours before making a, you know, a massive spiritual commitment. <laughs> Jesus Christ. I feel like you need to set something in that kind of setting. Yeah. Like, that's quite like, cause I went, mine were like, I did, we did lock-ins every so often, but it was always like this hip non-denominational sure. church where they had like a rock band that played like on Sundays. 
Um, and it was like, there might be some, like a little undercurrent of some Jesus-y shit, but mostly mm-hmm. it was like, you know, we're going to watch a movie for two hours and then there's cookies and then there's a pinata. It was like nothing. There was none of that. And oh, that yeah. seems crazy. This was like fire and brimstone and sexual shaming. <laughs> like it was unreal. And like, and then I went to, you know, when we moved to Memphis, I ended up going to a Southern Baptist high school. So like, because my dad was a teacher there. Mm-hmm. So it was like, it was a private school. And I guess my parents sort of, you know, calculus on it. It's like, oh, it's, he'll get a better education because right. it's a private school and he doesn't have to, we don't have to pay because, you know, my, yeah. my dad taught there. So I ended up going there and that was also just like such a weird continuation of yeah. these like, you know, the kind of the, the Southern religious stuff. Um, Did you have such feelings about that because of like these lock-ins and going to this weird uh Baptist school, like, were you like, I can never tell anybody that I mastered it? Yeah, sort of. I, well, I, but I also was, I think it was like, it, they came on so strong that I very quickly came to right. atheism or agnosticism, whatever. They galvanized you totally. Yeah, where I just as soon as I was, I think probably 15, as soon as I was like kind of rationally thinking for myself, it was just like, oh, this is absurd. Right. And, and I was like, you know, in like that kind of rebellious, youthful way, like very mad at religion for a while. And I've now since mellowed and kind yeah. of think of it. I look back at this stuff as just being like, wow, I can't, yeah, I can't, well, can't believe that happened. Yeah. But like I, whatever, like, who but cares? it's also like that is the era that you're so as a kid, like so likely to get into, like I was into punk yeah, because like, I don't know, it was aggressive and I needed something to put whatever weird hormonal thing that was happening to. Yeah. And if that, yeah, Joel Osteen was my punk rock for oh, sure. Nice, nice. <laughs> or just whatever he represents. That yeah, that weird. And like in Memphis, Memphis is like I always think is very funny because it's like Memphis is known for its like uh, hilarious, like na- nationally known for its like hilarious uh, religious iconography. Mm-hmm. So they have this like giant Statue of Liberty thing of Jesus that right. you know you can find pictures of on the internet and there was this famous kind of warehouse church Bellevue had these like huge like you know I don't even know like skyscraper uh, height crosses right off the, the highway sure um, so yeah there's it, it's it's a it's just a, it was a, a weird place I guess to, to grow up and, yeah especially when you've had the foundation laid in like even granted as you said like Sacramento it's still a far cry from any of that stuff yeah yeah for sure it, it was um, it was weird I don't know I was I guess I I um, I don't know it was it was a direction I could have gone in right uh, I'm, I'm glad I didn't but uh, do you feel like all that stuff like a like you know being alone for a lot of the time and also like not have any roots uh, and also rebelling against something that was like very rigid like mm-hmm. all that kind of feels like it led you to do like what you do now right I guess sort of I mean you know I, I think weirdly like being in that the Christian high school like uh, they, they had a bad, very bad theater, musical theater program. Mm-hmm. And like my junior, or no, my senior year, um, I quit sports, which mm-hmm. like the South is all about sports. I was like a starter. I was a starting lineman on the football team. Oh, shit. And I quit. To, in, in Memphis? In Memphis. It's a to, big football town. Yeah. It was, I, you know, it was like, I was very, um, I was, my dad was like also, he was like always a football, he played like division two college football and he was always really into that. And that was like mm-hmm. one thing that he kind of, he definitely kind of pushed me into sports. I liked baseball. I 
did not like football. Right. Um, I also wrestled for some reason. Mm-hmm. I think I was just good at it. And you seemed like, a, if I were to guess, I'd say you more of a bill for wrestling than like offensive lineman. Yeah, I was a small offensive lineman, yeah. and uh, and I but I just was very like, especially the older I got, I became more and more ambivalent about sports right. at all, and like. Um, I started smoking a lot of pot. Sure, man. You're um, cool. I get it. was it. cool. Yeah. I was like, you know, listening to fish. Oh, uh, wow. Yeah, It was sure. like my mind had been opened. Yeah, man. And uh, yeah, so my, my senior year, I quit football to go out for the school play. And that was weirdly the path into like that. And then the conflict, this is the most embarrassing thing that mm-hmm. I'll ever admit out loud on a podcast. Uh, <laughs> it was like right around, it was the, that was the year that uh, Goodwill Hunting came out. Yeah, it's not your and fault. I, it's not your fault. And I was just like, oh, Matt and Ben, screenwriters. That seems cool. Well, but yeah, but like, I mean, it's so but it was like their story because like, oh, they're young and they're, they're yeah. buddies from whatever. And it's like, it did in a weird way make it feel like, oh, yeah, that's a thing that I could do. Well, because it was like, when you live in a, in Memphis, Tennessee, like, I don't know shit about Hollywood or like how mm-hmm. movies or TV works. And it was like the first time that like writers were publicized to the degree that they were. Yeah. And so it like reached me where I was like oh these guys wrote this movie and that's how they became Matt and Ben (laughs) and like that seems cool and like that was literally how dumb and and uh, superficial it was at the beginning and then it was just became this like the more that I started going down that path the more that it felt like what I was really drawn towards and what I liked doing and you know uh, and I don't know that let, like when I moved to San Francisco I started doing stand up and I don't know right. it just kind of well that makes sense I mean that's like that's the only thing that's the only reference point you have when you're a certain age yeah so it's like yeah of course it's shallow and superficial because that's all you see you don't yeah. have and especially like 97 the internet was not really a thing not really so you couldn't you could like read books other than that you just like watch a bunch of movies and that's yeah. all you had yeah like Premiere Magazine yeah exactly yeah. and that I was that guy for sure I was like reading Premiere mm-hmm. and Entertainment Weekly and like really considered myself a film aficionado sure as much as you could be in the suburbs of memphis tennessee um and yeah i just got more and more you know and then in college like it just that grew and um i don't know that just became like at a certain point it just like i convinced myself that it was like my destiny for some reason (laughs) i don't even know why but it was just like because it's such an especially living in a place like that it's just like i think you kind of have to think like that to, to even get the the sort of necessary momentum going yeah. to well, like I think you have to have like an intrinsic faith in yourself but it's also interesting that like all this other thing is being pushed on you like you are destined yeah. to spend a life in hellfire if you don't so right. like a lot of talk about destiny so it's like well I'm not doing that I don't buy that shit but I guess I need to have faith in another capacity yeah I guess I don't, I don't know. know I'm just shit, shooting bull here yeah um, or I just like a random series of occurrences I just stumbled yeah. <laughs> into into what I do well, now. I remember when I was like in sixth or seventh grade, I like did my first play, like a community yeah. theater play. And I was like a I was never a great sports, but I was a good swimmer. So I swam like two hours a day, three hours a day, like from the time I was like seven till I was like fourteen or something. And then I did one play and then I was like, I don't want to do this anymore. Because mm-hmm. it was like A didn't take up fifteen hours a week didn't have to get up at six in the morning and there was actually like girls who paid attention to me which was a, such an anomaly at that point in my life 
So I was like, yeah, this yeah. is this is it. Gotta this follow, is what's happening. Gotta follow the action. Yeah, follow yeah. the action. And then you know, Matt and Ben come along, and Matt yeah, and Ben. All right. I mean, that they they changed it for a whole generation. Kind of, it's Project dumb, but Green Light. Yeah, man, it's a real thing. <laughs> um, do you have? This is a question I try to ask a lot. Do you like any advice for like somebody who is like, I don't know, feeling rudderless or uh, untethered in terms of just like having to move a bunch and being in, like a, an outsider in another community? I mean, I think if I could, like, you know, to put it into, like, a cliche Please. contact, like, Those if I could go back and tell myself mm-hmm. something, like, when I was a rudderless, you know, uh, kid that didn't have any friends in ninth grade or whatever, going right. to the movies every night alone would be, like, this is fine. You're not yeah. really missing anything. Yeah. Uh, you know, and, like, find what you like. Yeah. You know, that, like, for me, I think it ended up being movies and you know story you know I don't know television like film stories like that I always connected with that and I think that that if anything you can find like that is the only through line that there there sort of is um and yeah just like I mean it's so it's like follow your bliss it's just do it follow the thing that makes you feel good and um I don't know like for me at least my life has been not a straight line like it's just I've been all over the place and I've done a lot of different things that have kind of all led me towards this general direction like I was always going I think in the general direction of where I wanted to go but like it was like a zigzaggy path and and you know I, I think I don't know like I just like go along with that right. maybe I don't know do you think um, I think that's solid advice just if you find out, out feel out of place I mean just for me making it up off the top of my head you I did great beat. yeah <laughs> you did great it's okay um, do you think because like you self-proclaimed like I haven't had a lot of terrible stuff happen does that uh, do you have anxiety about that totally like, it's yeah. like as a writer especially it's like right. my deepest insecurity that like you know you you read all these shows, or you see all these shows, or read books or, or scripts with just like all of this like clear front row personal experience into really you know interesting, weird, gritty situations right. that people have gone through. That I, I'm just always like, ugh, like I fucking grew up like, and not even like I didn't even have like I wasn't even interesting enough to like grow up rich. It, right. You know, it was like I wasn't poor, but I wasn't rich. Right in the middle. It wasn't bad. Everything was just fine. Yeah. You know, my whole life has been fine. My parents and my relationship has always just been, you know, been fine. We love each other, but like there was there was never any like big drama there. Right. I mean, they they had their ups and downs like everybody does, but it was just like I feel like my life has just been so even keeled yeah. <laughs> that like I, I wish that in, in a perverse way that I had more trauma sure. or whatever to draw from. Yeah. Um, and I think that's why the stuff that I'm, uh, my approach is, you know, I think my, my, my approach as a writer and just the things that I tend to be attracted to are a little bit more external. Hmm. Um, you know, like I, I, it just cause I, I just haven't had like, yeah, like the, these like harrowing kind of personal, right trials and tribulations, things that I've got, you know, suffered through that emerged, you know, wiser with, with more depth. I'm right. Yeah. Very shallow is what I'm saying. No, I can tell. I can tell. <laughs> um, but do you feel like that shifted a little bit? Cause I don't know what this is like, but I would imagine when 
you come from like an even keel kind of Zoloft life, mm-hmm. and then you have like kids all of a sudden. At least like the stakes are so much higher. So totally. there's like more of a perce- perception of uh, perspective of, oh, I know what to covet and like how yeah. to protect and be, that kind of thing. It's the most visceral that I had felt. Mm-hmm. about anything in years I mean right. you know I mean, the, the way you put it in Zoloft like is, is, is you know in a weird way it, it is kind of like that where you don't have these like spikes of like right. peaks and valleys of you know really high highs and really low lows I mean definitely there was along the way good things that happened and sure. there were bad days and stuff but for the most part it was all kind of in the middle range of the spectrum and right. so like yeah that's why how, that when my kids were born that was very surreal because you are like because the stakes are so high and because the emotions that you feel like the love you feel mm-hmm. for them is so strong you know that that was really interesting for me right. um, but then also like there was like a very like a an awareness of it of just like I'm feeling feelings <laughs> like yeah. which is you know so like it's crazy kind of because you want to just be like you know in the moment present like connected just to the emotion and not necessarily like thinking about the emotion that you're having versus what you're supposed to be feeling in that moment, which I, but I think I've talked to enough parents to know that like, that's pretty normal. And like everybody kind of does that where you're, is what I feeling is right. Should I feel more? No, there's not a right thing, but it's just like, it's something that is so like everyone's thought about for so long of like me having kids. What's that going to be like? What's it going to feel like when I hold my kid for the first time, when I look at him, you know? And so you're always kind of like comparing it against what you thought it would feel like or whatever. Um, but it does, you know, I, I think it gives, it definitely gives your life a, a for me at least, like a, a deeper meaning and a more, something that I care about more than myself. Right. You know, always. Yeah. Which is good because. Yeah. That's nice to have that. Yeah. Because otherwise like, you can. Otherwise you can look at your fucking monster. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Um, just because I'm curious, like I know uh, you talked about like getting like a peak, uh, like a spike mm-hmm. of like, you know, having this child and the like opens a new door that never was previously right Mm -hmm. um i felt like for a while when i had like this confluence of like terrible shit all happen at once i feel like for a while after that it was like kind of uh chasing that like i was like Mm. i need i i'm i miss those peaks and valleys right so like when things were just kind of fine i was like this is doesn't this i feel like I feel like uh, depressed because I'm not. I need that kind of up and down. Yeah. Does like the kids like fulfill the same thing? Like I get this such spike of like dopamine that I need to keep chasing that. Well, no. That, that, with that kids, it's like it's yeah. I mean, it's like you, you, the first, especially I had twins, mm-hmm. and so the first, the first year or whatever is just so insane that like that's you. You don't even have time to think about it. You know, right. you, there's no time for introspection. You're just like they're up all the time you're just exhausted you're trying to like do your best to like you know take care of them and <laughs> like keep them alive and 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 uh, you know just get through it basically right. it's like it feels like war what i imagine yeah. wartime would feel like where you're you're just you're going on pure adrenaline mm-hmm. and like the circumstances are insane and you're just you're not thinking about it you're just react you're just acting and right. reacting and you know getting it done um and so, you, yeah, you, I didn't find myself missing the, like, you know, emotional sort of spikes or right, whatever. Right. You don't have time to think yeah, about it. Yeah, I just don't have time to think about it. Well, I, I will say when I got married, that was interesting because, like, 
you know, uh, there's so much planning going in, you know, sure. go, leading up to getting married, and then like you have this big party where it's like mm-hmm. such an emotional. It's like you're like on ecstasy or something, yeah. or Molly, like whatever the cool kids call it now. I don't know. Yeah, I haven't done drugs in a long time. Uh, the, Get back into it. Yeah, I should. Should. I'm just now like I'm having a renaissance. I yeah. never did it before, and now yeah. I'm like, ooh, drugs. Yeah, <laughs> uh, and like it feels like that though where you're just like all of your emotions are like running as high as possible and right. you know you're having this great time and you're surrounded by everyone you love and whatever and then the next morning I really remember this it was just like such a weird crash of just like yes. felt numb and just like yeah well I think that's like when a lot of people what? get sick afterwards because yeah. they're running on such a high octane yeah 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 but it's yeah. like also like this akin to like I know like a couple times I took like big epic trips and like you get yeah. home and like for three days afterwards it's like such a malaise like, now what yeah, right like, yeah because I think real life that's the thing is like, you know, our bodies and emotions, I mean, I guess I'm in, you know, as much as I would like to be a more interesting person and artist or whatever, mm-hmm. having experienced all of these like crazy, you know, kind of, you know, having gone through these like dramatic things, like, you know, your bio, our biology is like kind of like we're, we're sort of made to yes. operate more in that middle range. Yeah. And like, I think we get into trouble sometimes when we get too far, you know, for sure in and out of it and, and it I, I don't know like I, I've found that as I've gotten older especially that like I've just realized that you know when it dips and you're having a bad day or whatever it's just it's it's all it, it's always such a like it just goes up and down it's like right. the next day is gonna be different and right. there's a day after that whatever um, and so yeah I don't know yeah I think um, I think that is like a maturing process cause I think for a while like those things in some capacity, the the spikes, the peaks and valleys, mm-hmm. like somehow, like made me feel like special, because mm-hmm. like oh, this is like like some like the wedding, like I'm in the special yeah. land, and right. then it goes away, and it's like oh right, we're back to what is normal, right? And you can't operate in like that heightened that over yeah. for so long, but you would yeah. you would you would be ex- your body would just be exhausted, you'd and you'd be apart. emotionally yeah. exhausted, you'd fall apart exactly. Um, yeah, I hear you. Yeah, well, um, fuck, man. That seems pretty cool. Yeah, I have one. I have one story. It's like yeah. a, Tell me a, story. a story of a terrible thing that Great. happened. Um, that was it was. Let's see. I would have been. I think I was like twenty two. I was still living in Memphis. My friend and I had made this big plan. So you went to school in Memphis as well. Went to school in Memphis. Yeah, I went to. Well, I went to college at Ole Miss, University of Mississippi, mm-hmm. and then decided my fresh after my freshman year, I was like, oh, I want to. I really want to pursue the film and TV thing, and then I just. University of Memphis had a film program and that was just the most kind of economically and realistically viable sure. option for me at that point. So I went, I transferred to University of Memphis, um, which their film and TV program was essentially just like teaching how to work at the local news. Sure. Uh, but I think that's like the most practical thing. Like yeah. when you're in Memphis, like, yeah, do this. Yeah. You just kind of learn basics of like how to hold a camera. Right. I literally learned how to edit on a Steenbeck machine. Oh man. Which is amazing. This is still yeah. like 2003. It's like, yeah. guys, no one's, in 2003, uh, that no one's splicing a little film bit. Yeah. I mean, it's cool to know. Yeah. I, I mean, tried it, was, it once. I'm like, this yeah. is so hard and antiquated. Yeah. yeah. It felt antiquated then. But yeah, so I was, I was going to school, um, at University of Memphis and my friend and I had made this big plan that we were going to drive down to New Orleans for mm-hmm. um, New Year's Eve and so fun fun plan fun plan yeah. we're gonna go down there we got a, like a hotel somewhere in the French Quarter like sure. you know we were gonna party and meet some girls and I remember like the whole time in the car you know this is like where I was like at the the height of my like 
decided, you know, my, my post Matt and Ben girl mm-hmm. hunting mm-hmm. delusions of becoming a, a Hollywood hotshot. I remember my friend and I, a scheme in the car, very original scheme for picking up women was like, let's tell people we're producers. Sure. You know what I mean? Yeah. We're the only ones that had mm-hmm. ever thought of that. And it is the best scheme. It works all well, the time. Because it's the most amorphous thing. Yeah. People are like, I don't know what that is. Yeah. I still am like, okay. Don't, yeah. Sure. I am a producer. have no idea what I do. Yep. Um, but at the time, we're like, this is going to be, this is how we're going to get girls in New Orleans. We're going to sure. be the mysterious men from out of town here on Hollywood business. Very hush hush. Mm-hmm. Um, Over we, New know, Year's. Yeah, yeah. You know, we work with Harvey Weinstein. Mm-hmm. And, of course you uh, do. You know. And so we get down there and, you know, check into our hotel, very exciting, right next to Bourbon Street, Mm -hmm. just, you know, it's lively, it's happening, there's lights everywhere. We're feeling that, that, that rush of just like, this is, this is going to be fucking awesome, you know? And so we're like, all right, let's, uh, let's get dressed, put on our cool producer Mm -hmm. outfits. We should probably have one of the things. This actually may have been just before the... I don't know, maybe. Maybe it would have been on the, the, the vanguard of the, right. the Bluetooth-connected producer. But we go down, and um, we got a one bar, you know, just first drink. Sure. Ready to go. Training this wheels. feeling good. Yeah, man. Um, you know, kind of dead in there. Not a lot of people in the bar, so it's like, all right, let's uh, let's walk it down Bourbon Street and see see what else is going on here. And so we start doing that. We're walking down the street, mid-conversation. And all of a sudden, I just like, it's kind of like a weird blur. Like, just like, don't know what's happening. Mm-hmm. And I kind of, once I kind of like regain consciousness a few seconds later, I realize I am being dragged down Bourbon Street at a gallop by a cop on horseback who has what? grabbed my shoulder, like my shirt at the shoulder, and is uh, galloping, parading me down Bourbon Street. And I'm like, you know, it took it took me a second because it was just going from yeah. full from full like you and I talking now like we're walking down the street then being to dragged just being by a dragged horse. dragged by a horse and I'm like you know what 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 are you doing what's happening what there must be like some kind of mistake blah 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 and he won't say anything and he drags me like at least I don't it must have been at least a block and a half maybe two blocks it was That's a crazy. long fucking way and I'm like running kind of to keep up and finally he gets. Get, he pulls up and he throws me against this like paddy wagon, mm-hmm. one of those big, uh, you know, like they basically are just like a big police van that they use to collect drugs. Sure. And throws me against the van and is like, and I'm like, what? What are you? What? What? What did I do? What did I do? And he's just like, you punched my horse. What? And I'm like, I did not punch your horse. Like I don't know. There's like also there's, that's crazy. It's crazy. I'm like, there's some. There's some misunderstanding. I don't know what's happening. And he's just like, fuck you, tell it to the judge. Opens the thing, puts me in handcuffs, puts me in the back of this, like, this van of, of like, unruly drunks. But there's only, like, three people in there. So the other thing is they, like, I guess they wait. They make you wait until they fill it. Fill it up. And then oh, they drive no. you down. So I'm sitting there, and I'll never forget. Where's, like, where's your buddy? So the door yeah. slams shut. All of a sudden, I hear my buddy come up outside. He's yelling at this, this guy, and he's just like... <laughs> this is like the funniest thing I've ever heard anyone say. 
But he's just like, he's like, you don't understand. We work with Harvey Weinstein. <laughs> he's like literally <laughs> trying to pull the producer. Harvey Weinstein doesn't punch horses. Exactly. He's just like, you can't do this. You don't, my friend is like, we're producers. Like you can't. And the cop, of course, is just like, I don't give a shit. Give a do you want to get arrested too? Fuck you. Uh, and so, you know, my friend just kind of is like, hey man, just like, let me know. Like, I don't know why, you know, yeah, what, I, what can do I do? Here. And I'm just sitting there for probably another two hours or something. In, with are these others? as they're slowly loading in more. Are these people crazy? That insane. Are there? Like just like the one guy's like asking if he can suck my dick and sure. like you know the, the some other dudes like we had time to kill. PCP. We did have time yeah. to kill. I thought about yeah. it. Ended up feeling like you know once I told him I was a producer mm-hmm. that we'd have a great chance. And, <laughs> uh, and yes, yeah, so they finally take me to the station. Nobody's answering my questions. At this point, I'm like full. Because also the other thing to bear in mind here, we had had one drink. Okay? Yeah. So this is like, I'm in my 20s. I was definitely going to get fully blackout loaded that yeah, night. Of but I wasn't yet. All right. It's so that's terrifying. It's terrifying. And I'm like, I'm furious because uh-huh. I'm just like, this is total bullshit. Such indignation. Yeah. About like, like, what are you doing? Like, I didn't do anything wrong. And finally, after hours and hours, I get the booking person. I'm like, what are you booking me for? Mm-hmm. Cruelty to animals. <laughs> like, that's it. Just cruelty to animals. <laughs> but, like, whatever, like, when did you when did you think I did this? I have theories on what happened. Right. Which is, I think what happened is the, the guy was coming a, the other way. So we're walking this way. The guy's walking towards us on his horse. I think something spooked his horse. And he, he turned. And there I was. And he just thought that I, like, was Punched an asshole. Yeah, I don't know. Mm-hmm. Um... That's the best theory yeah. I've been able to construct thus far. Uh, and yeah, and so like, it ended up being, you know, so I basically, long story short, I spent a night in jail. Um, oh, Jesus. I have to extend my trip to New Orleans for like, to go to my arraignment in like Ugh. three extra days. And I'm already, I'm 22, so I don't even have any, we blew all of our money on the hotel. Yeah. That I can't, and then bail, and I like can't afford to do anything now. So we're just like stuck in. I'm stuck in. My friend had to go back. I'm stuck in New Orleans, waiting to go stand to face a judge to stand, you know, accused of uh, cruelty to animals. Which I'm like, I'm sure I'm on some like fucking FBI watch list sure. or something yeah. now. And basically, they just I get I showed up early to the arraignment. I go to the prosecutor. I'm like, I have three dogs. I love animals. I would never hurt a horse. Yeah. I don't know what happened. I wasn't drunk. Like, what can we do? And he's just basically like, it was it was amazing. He's like, it's like he had seen this very scenario a thousand right, times. Right. So he was just like, okay, so you're gonna sign a thing that basically is like a plea but we'll expunge it and blah blah it was you pay 500 bucks and and that. but that's crazy it's crazy it still is to this day cra- I've not been to New Orleans since by the way but paying um, 500 bucks for, for like for what what am I paying yeah. 500 I got it was a dragged and my night was it was New Year's Eve yeah. too it, it ruined my whole weekend because it was like uh, I stayed I stayed in jail the night before so like I got out of jail on New Year's Eve right but it's like I don't feel like fucking going out no, now, you know? No. Like, the whole, our whole sort of fantasy plan was just, like, ruined. We were, like, you know, joylessly, like, eating hamburgers in our room until oh. my friend left. And I had to stay there, go to this arraignment, and then oh, took a train. Oh. I had to, like, call my parents to give me money 
to take a train back up like a nine hour train. And did they ride. think it was crazy or that I was like, nah? Well, because like I was at that age in my life where I was like, you know, I was partying a lot mm-hmm. and they just, they were just, they assumed that like they I was. They weren't getting the whole story. Yeah. I was in yeah. New Orleans and I was like raging too hard and I got arrested. Uh. Was, uh, the thing. So that was like, yeah, that was one of the more terrible sort of things that That's happened. That's fucking awful. Also, like, I have, uh, knock on wood, not spent a night in jail, but mm-hmm. like, I imagine if you're gonna do it, it's probably the medicine go down, go down, goes down a little easier if you are drunk. Yeah, or you're, you're yeah, like you're sober like, and angry. Yeah, and sober, people, uh, angry, in a New Orleans jail. The uh, you know the, the New, night before New Year's, New Year's oh, weekend. God. Yeah, it was not fun. That's fucking all. crazy. Yeah, it was a bummer. And also, just like, just to be to like the prosecutor, like, I got dragged a block and a half. Yeah. He, That's not just, okay. It's amazing that he just like utterly did not give a fuck and B, just like clearly had like a protocol for this exact situation where it was just like, it was almost like this is just something we do here. Yeah. Every 10th tourist gets charged with cruelty to animals and has to pay an extra $500. And it's just also, hey man, don't fuck with my best friend. Yeah, exactly. That is Snuffles and he's my best friend. Don't fuck with him. Yeah, the guy is very protective of his horse. I I looked at him the wrong way, maybe. I don't know. That's so weird. It's just like, I mean, that's just like the lowest lowest stakes version of just being like held against your will. I mean, it's still shitty, but like, yeah. I don't know, man. You hear like like crazy stories about people like spending a lot of time for something they didn't do. Yeah, no. I mean, the, it, some people. Everyone in jail says they're innocent. Some people truly are. Yeah. Uh, I did not enjoy Treme. No. Uh, I still. Well, I still. You're not have, alone like, in that, though. Yeah. <laughs> I don't think that. I don't think your experience really colored that. I have a visceral. I you know not like a hatred of New Orleans, but I, I, a mistrust. I, mm-hmm. I. I understand that. I was there for the first time in, as like an adult. Cause I went there mm-hmm. a couple times when I was like teen. And I went there the first time as an adult last year, and I was like, "This town's fucking magical." Yeah. It was also like weird stuff, and like you can turn down a, a wrong alley, and like, oh, this is this is dark. Yeah. But. They have their own rules there, you know? Yeah. It's very clear. I mean, this is all, and this is also pre-Katrina. It was like, I'm sure it's, it's, it's different now. I don't know if in better ways, but it was just, it was like, I, I couldn't believe this was happening to me. I was like, what did I do to deserve this? So the takeaway is, uh, do not be like Richard Lewis and gesticulate too much around any sort of police horses. Yeah. Because you never know. Yeah. You don't yeah. get too close to ho- any Just be very, any very, very polite around police be horses. Be polite. Be respectful. On holidays. On holidays. Exactly. Yeah. Don't make eye contact. That's good. You know? Because they have those blinders on. Yeah. They're, they're looking for a fight. Yeah. And also, cops don't know who Harvey Weinstein <laughs> yeah. is. I would have loved that story if, like, you were saying that and he dragged you a block and a half and then just gave you a spec script. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> All right. It's about, a, it's about a car. New yeah, Orleans, yeah, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. He's a hardless uh, cop and a horse. I love it. Uh, well, thanks, man. Yeah, that man. Really thanks rad. for having me. Like I, I said, I've been, a, I've been a fan for so long, so I, I'm very uh, You're the flattered one. to get to you share are the one. The non-terrible things that thanks, have well, happened. Hey, man, we need to diversify. Yeah. Thanks, pal. I really appreciate it. Yeah. No worries. Thanks, evidence. Uh, Marcus, that's another episode in the books. Put in the annals. 
Alright, I'm getting carried away. But that was a great episode. Thank you so much, Alex, for coming out and chatting with me. I really appreciate it. Uh, you're, a, you're a kind and generous man, and I appreciate your time. Thank you. Uh, if you want to see what else is going on with Alex, if you think he's as great as I do, you can check him out on Twitter. It's at Alex Blagg. That's at Alex B-L-A-G-G. Two G's in that blank. Um, also watch at midnight. It's great. You see a lot of uh, some of the best comedians going, making a bunch of funny ha-has. Who doesn't love that? It goes down real easy. Um, and that's it. Other than to say thank you to Hayden Fongheiser for doing everything behind the scenes. Thank you to Julia Pott and Kingdom Flying Club for our music. And thanks to you guys. You're fucking so cool. I mean that. Hope you guys have a great week. 